Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Working with different cultures has become a norm in almost every organization that I deal with, and the teams are dispersed from all sorts of places. I'm seeing managers leading teams around the world, not having the budget to travel and visit them, and I see projects that are happening with one person in one place and somebody else in another place, and somehow we're expected to just make it go. Now, there are a bunch of models out there about how to understand culture. Aaron Meyer and Rob Cross happen to have been two of my favorite, and there are a lot of others. Though those are particularly complicated. Not that there's something wrong in the complexity. They're just hard to remember all the details about. But today, I want to drill down on one of the fundamental differences between cultures and between people, as it turns out, whether that's individuals, organizations, or countries, And that is about this concept called tightness versus looseness. And we're going to talk about what it means and how each evolved and why it matters for you and what it means for a team, what it means for interpersonal dynamics, and give you a reference for testing yourself on this key dimension. So my guest today is Michelle Gelfand. Michelle is Distinguished Professor of Psychology at the University of Maryland in College Park. And she uses field, experimental, computational, neurosciences methods, anything basically, to understand the evolution of cultural and its multi-level consequences. Now, her work from an academic point of view has received some of the highest esteems we give in academic world. So she's been published in Science in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, in the Journal of Applied Psychology, and a host of others. And I'm glad to say she was just recently inducted into the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. So that is huge accolades for the quality of the scientific work. For us today, though, she's published this in a digestible book for the rest of us as human beings called Rule Makers and Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire the World. Michelle, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And congratulations on the the Academy of Arts and Sciences. That's a huge accolade. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. All right, so let's. You've been taught studying culture for a really long time. What's driven your interest and your passion on this? Well, you know, culture is such a fascinating puzzle because it's omnipresent, it's all around us, but it's invisible and it's driving our behavior 24 7. Um, and we rarely recognize it, we take it for granted. It's like this story of two fish that are swimming in the water and they pass by another fish, and the fish says to them, Hey, boys, how's the water? And they swim on, and one says to the other, what the hell is water? <laughs> and yeah. this like, sort of simple story just illustrates a profound point that sometimes the most important realities are the things that we don't necessarily see in our lives. And for fish, that's water. And for humans, that's culture. And so I wanted to set out to understand what are the deeper codes, cultural codes that are driving our behavior beyond sort of superficial differences like red, blue, or east-west, or rich, poor, tech manufacturing. Like what is really the deeper driving codes that can help us understand um, are basically our cultural self. Right. What I think I like so much about your work, Michelle, is that it applies at every level of analysis. So 
it, you can understand culture from a country to country or from a region to region, and you can understand this concept of culture from a team to a team, but it applies just as equally from person to person. So I like that multi-level of analysis here. I think that's really important. Yeah, thanks so much. I think like in other disciplines, like in biology or physics or mathematics, they try to come up with some simple principles. They might not catch everything, but that help us to understand realities across different levels. In physics, they call it fractal types of patterns. And it turns out that, you know, culture can be explained through also some simple principles that can help us understand dynamics at the national level, at the state level, the organizational level, and even our own households. And that's what I set out to really look at over the last 25 or so years, or what are some of these dimensions that we can kind of understand and, and why they've evolved and what the consequence they are at all those different levels. And are they similar? And it turns out they really are, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Okay. And so in fairness, there's more than one dimension to cultural differences, yeah. but we want to drill into it on one that I think is just so powerful. And you call it tight versus loose cultures. So what does that mean? Tell me about each of them. Sure. So, you know, over the last couple decades, I've been studying cultures from Singapore to Sparta, from Athens to Alabama, from the military to Silicon Valley. Um, and really what I've discovered is that groups vary pretty predictably on how strictly they adhere to social norms. And these are generally unwritten rules for behavior that we follow constantly. Um, and all groups have social norms. In fact, it's one of our most important human inventions, social norms, because it helps. they help us to really coordinate and predict each other's behavior. So try to imagine, you know, in your audience, try to imagine a world without social norms, you know, people driving on either side of the street and not obeying stop signs or facing backwards in elevators or, you know, wearing, um, not wearing clothes to business meetings. You know, all, there's always endless number of social norms we follow. And luckily, we've invented social norms to, to really help to coordinate. It's the glue that keeps us together. But what I found is that glue varies around the world. Some groups tend to be tight. They have stronger glue. And what I mean is that they have stricter rules and more punishments for violating them. And other groups evolve to be loose. They have weaker norms and they're much more permissive and they afford a wide range of behavior. And this turns out, tight versus loose, to be a distinction that's critical to understanding um, our nations, our states, our organizations, and even our own mindsets. Um, and so it's really exciting. The book tries to map out um, this dimension across all those different levels. Okay. All right. So give me an example of a tight culture and so that we get that concept. And then I'm going to ask you an example about a loose culture. Sure. So, you know, what I did was some years ago, I put together a large team of people around the world to try to understand how we measure this construct. And in this paper that we published in Science, this is across about 30 plus nations, we could differentiate tight cultures, including places like Japan and Singapore and Germany and Austria tended to veer loose, very tight. But cultures like Brazil and Greece and the Netherlands tended to veer looser. I mean, all groups have tight and loose elements. I should say that. All cultures do. But we could see that some groups tend to have stricter norms and punishments and others tend to have weaker norms. And we know that this difference provides a lot of um, understanding in terms of the trade-offs that the strength of norms has for human groups in terms of its strengths and its liabilities, depending on your vantage point. Okay. Okay, so um, so a tight culture, let's take Singapore as an example, Yeah, has very strict rules about public behavior on the streets, about spitting, about chewing gum, about a whole range right. of behavior. 
some people find that oppressive, but that's just how it is in Singapore. That's an example of a tight culture. That's right. And you okay. can think about a place like New Zealand where, you know, you see people walking barefoot in banks and you see people burning couches on college campuses. Um, you see all sorts of types of behaviors, um, much wider range of behaviors that are permissible as compared to in Singapore. Okay. All right. So, you know, I'm imagining everybody listening to this says that one of those, it sounds like a good place and the other one sounds like a horrible <laughs> place. And so we'll each have our own preferences. But presumably there are strengths and advantages for each one. Is that true? That's right. And I call this the tight, loose trade-off um, of order versus openness. And, you know, what's really fascinating is that when people ask me, what's better? It, the answer is neither, because each confers really important advantages and that the other's liabilities rest upon. So, for example, tight cultures have much more order. They have less crime. They have more monitoring. Um, they have much more uniformity in what people wear and what people drive. Even the city clocks and city streets tend to be more similar in tight cultures. We've actually measured this. We could see that in tight cultures, when you look around city clocks, they pretty much say the same thing in city streets. Um, in loose cultures, you're not totally sure what time it is because the clocks all say something different. They're not very syn- highly synchronized. <laughs> um, okay. And also we know that that level of order in the social environment is mirrored in the individual. So there's a lot more self-regulation, a lot less debt, a lot less obesity, less alcoholism. People are kind of managing their impulses more to fit into the norms in tight cultures. And so order is a really big strength of tight cultures. Loose cultures tend to struggle with order. They have more crime. They have less uniformity and synchrony, and they have a host of self-regulation problems. But loose cultures in our data corner the market on openness, and we know that um, people are much more tolerant of the stigmatized in loose cultures, whether they're immigrants or the disabled or other types of stigma. Um, We showed this, by the way, in one study where I had some research assistants wearing fake facial warts around the world or wearing tattoos and nose rings and asking for help in street and city streets. And we found that, you know, when they were wearing these ridiculous things, <laughs> that they were much more likely to be helped in loose cultures and much less likely to be helped in tighter cultures because there's just much more openness to people who um, look different even in these cultures. And there's much more tolerance for different ideas. There's more creativity in loose cultures and more openness to change. And so openness is something that tight cultures struggle with. Uh, but as I mentioned, you know, depending on your criteria, either of these types of codes would really be attractive to different types of people. Okay. All right. So, so is it true that in a loose culture, I'm going to get more innovation and creativity than I am in a tight culture? Well, you know, it's such a super interesting question, and it's something that we, I'm sure we'll get to later about the balance and, and uh, tight and loose. But, you know, when you think about innovation, if I define it as being able to create ideas but then implement them, then we need both tight and loose. We need looseness to create new ideas, but we need tightness to scale up. And I think a lot of times, you know, the loosest companies or the loosest countries, they tend to be super creative, but they might fall short on being able to scale scale up. Um, But the tighter cultures don't have as many new ideas in general, but they're able to really scale up. And so in a lot of ways, there's a lot of complementarity to tighten loose and that we can, I'm sure, get to later on in the program. And I think it's, it's how to manage that process, how to bring together people that have these strengths together to produce um, a better product and to innovate is really exciting. 
It's interesting because you're going to see my bias, and I'm going to admit it strongly (laughs) in the way I frame that question. I certainly favor more open than I do order, though I respect the value of order, to be clear. But that openness feels to me like it spontaneously generates ideas and creates greater connection in a lot of words that I would say are very positive. And that's why I asked the question, is it true about innovation? And the answer is no, it's not quite as clean as that. Yes, it might spark Mm -hmm. the different ideas, but there's a lot more to do around innovation. So good call. All right, I do want to talk about the balance, but before we get there, have these two cultures evolved for reasons that are kind of predictable and important? Well, it's such a great question because, you know, as a cross-cultural psychologist, I was trained to think about, you know, not just what are these differences, but why do they exist in the first place? Why might they be kind of rational or quasi-rational based on kind of demands in the context that people live in? And it turns out that in our analyses, there's no obvious sort of similarity between tight cultures on the one hand and loose cultures on the other. There's no common geography or tradition or religion or language. But what we do know is that they, tight cultures in our data tend to have much more threat. And what I mean by threat is sort of collective threats. Think about from Mother Nature, like constant types of famines or constant natural disasters like you see in Japan. Tight cultures also have much more human threat, um, much greater threat of invasions from other countries. We've shown this in the science paper. We measured how many times has a nation potentially been invaded by its neighbors over the last hundred years? How many uh, natural disasters has it had? And what we could see is that that logic is really pretty simple. When you have a lot of collective threat, you need strong rules to help people to coordinate, to survive. So it's that coordination function I was telling you about with social norms. They help us to predict each other and coordinate, and that's much more important in contexts where there's a lot of survival threats. And uh, by the way, it also applies to organizations, the same principle that organizations that have a lot of coordination needs and, and potential threat, think hospitals or airlines, police department, the military, they evolve to be loose because they need that coordination. And other organizations and industries have much less threat, and they can afford to have more permissiveness um, given that um, lack of threat. It's not the only predictor of tight and loose. There's other types of factors that push groups to be loose or tight. For example, diversity tends to push groups towards looseness because it's harder to agree upon any particular norm. And mobility, like constant coming and going, also tends to predict looseness. Again, it's harder to agree upon norms. And so what's exciting, though, is to think about, let's get back to your example about Singapore. Like, why would this ban on gum happen in Singapore? From an American point of view, it just seems so preposterous. Why can't you let people chew gum? (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's puzzling. But when you think about Singapore, it faces a lot of threat. One threat is just how incredibly densely populated it is. It has about 20,000 people per square mile. And what happened was that during the 80s, when people were chewing gum, they would just kind of throw it on the ground, and it was causing a massive health problem and a massive coordination problem because it was blocking sensors on trains and elevators. And Lee Kuan Yew said, you know, guys, we, with so many mouths per capita, we're just going to have to ban this tasty treat. <laughs> and maybe people at first didn't like this idea, but it turns out that that makes sense in a context where, you know, you have so many people per square mile. I'm not advocating we ban Gump in, in, in this sense, but I do think that once we understand the logic of why tightness evolves, we can appreciate and empathize some of these puzzle, about some of these puzzling cultural differences. 
Yeah. If you recently stepped on gum on the street, such as on the streets of <laughs> New York City, you would think that that was a very good strategy for, for – and you can see why. You can see where the threat comes from. Okay. It's an yeah, interesting, you know, interesting idea. In cities like New York, I'm a New Yorker. Um, I mean, I'm in D.C. for a very long time now, but once you're in New York, you're over New Yorker. But with cities are really interesting play, uh, context because although they have a lot of density, like New York, they're very anonymous. And, and, and they have a lot of mobility and diversity. And those factors, anonymity and diversity and mobility, make it really hard to kind of develop really tight norms. And so that might explain why New York City is not super tight, like Singapore, where it's really hard to escape that context um, and go out and, you know, kind of find a countryside to hang out right. in. So, um, but, yeah, that's exactly right. That, you know, once, when we start to feel threatened, though, it's a kind of a, a, a really universal psychology we all start to tighten up. So it's not just at the country level, in organizations, too, or in our households. Um, so the principle doesn't have to just deal with chronic threat. It can also deal with temporary threat that tends to cause even individuals to tighten, um, you know, instantly, really. It may not last for that long, but it's, it's kind of an evolutionarily adaptive kind of um, instinct uh, is what we think. Because it allows you, as the social creatures that we are, to coordinate, to stay connected, and hopefully collectively to survive whatever threat it is that's coming on. I have two observations from this one that just strike me. Um, London is my other home. And one of the things that I noticed in London is historically there were very strict norms, not rules, but mm-hmm. norms about how you behaved in public, like mm-hmm. queuing is a famous one that most mm-hmm. people would know. I noticed in London that that's beginning to fall apart, mm-hmm. that that standard, that norm is just disintegrating in some very kind of surprising ways and very quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's happening in London, it is becoming more dense and therefore more anonymous, way more diverse, and tons of mobility. And those are all the ones that are starting to now disintegrate a quality that, you know, was also wonderful in some ways. Mm -hmm. That's exactly. I mean, I would say that you're like a... You're sort of a cultural psychologist. That I, I, I was in London years ago in the late 80s, and I was just back again recently, and I noticed just incredible changes in diversity, in, in density, um, and it also um, just, yeah, the sheer amount of differences that you see around the city. And I think that that might be one predictor of why that particular behavior or other strict norms have tended to become, you know, um, more permissive. Right. Well, that's only one norm. We have to look at some others. The other thing that strikes me is when a senior executive leading a group is feels that there's a threat, there's a threat competitively or there's a threat to the status of the group or there's a threat. Yeah, I don't know, whatever reason. There's a tendency then to tighten the norms. You know, think about send around a memo that says what's acceptable or unacceptable behavior in some way or okay. who gets sanctioned or who gets demoted or who gets caught. I mean, all of those are versions of tightening and they happen exactly at the moments in which we feel threatened. I think that insight is hugely important. Yeah, I think it's important because, you know, the idea is that sometimes we need to tighten for sure, but sometimes we tend to go overboard, and we Mm -hmm. need to have balance with tight and loose. And we know from our research that groups that get too tight or too loose, even though they might need to veer tight or loose for different reasons, it's the extremes that start to become dysfunctional. And this is what I call the Goldilocks principle of tight-loose. 
And so I think it applies to your example. It's healthy tightening in some cases when we start to think about how can we coordinate better and we need to have more monitoring and more constraint. But sometimes we could see that some groups get too constrained, even given their coordination needs, or on the flip side, too loose. Then, you know, there's some examples um, in the book I talk about for, um, you know, on the flip, on one side, like United Airlines, when it had its big PR problem um, a couple of years ago, arguably, you know, United needs to veer tight. We don't want people making all sorts of weird decisions as an airline. <laughs> but on the other hand, right. you can think about, well, maybe it became too tight. It was, it was normatizing so many different domains where people had very little discretion. Um, and I, people I interviewed for the book did, did say that they were starting to kind of follow the rules blindly. On the flip side, you could see that some organizations get too loose. Think about places like Uber or even Tesla. I just wrote a recent op-ed about this, that these are places that should veer loose. They're creative tech types of places, but arguably they started getting too loose. And then you have this problem with predictability and even chaotic types of behavior and really difficulty in producing things and getting things done on time. And so this Goldilocks principle is really something I talk quite a bit about in the book because, again, we need to veer tight or loose for good reasons, but it's sometimes groups get out of whack in terms of their calibration and they get too tight or too loose, um, and then we need to really recalibrate the norms. Okay. So now we're talking about that sense of balance. Um, I often talk about the aspects of leadership being that you're like on a seesaw. I need to be able to do both ends of the seesaw, but I don't want it to get on one end or the other and locked into place. And I want to be able to adjust depending on the environment. So we've talked about the balance in terms of its importance for innovation, that tight cultures help you scale up and loose cultures help you create ideas. Are there other ways, other issues where we see this balance becomes a really important? You know, I think it's, you just hit the nail on the head that leaders, I, I, I talk about this as tight, loose, ambidexterity, that the best leaders know how to deploy tightness and looseness at different times, different situations. And that starts with even just understanding the vocabulary and using the vocabulary of tight and loose is loose and, and, and then diagnosing the organization, the unit that you're working with in terms of its level of norm strength, how, much, how tight or loose is it, and is the organization um, getting too loose um, that they need to sort of insert some structure? This is what I call structured looseness. Or on the flip side, is it getting too tight? Um, is it having um, so much sort of um, strictness and punishments for behaviors that, you know, is leaving people feeling like they have no sense of self-efficacy and agency? This is what I call the need for flexible looseness or flexible tightness. Uh, where you need to insert some flexibility into that system. And there's a lot of ways to achieve this kind of tight and dexterity. Um, and, and it's uh, the focus of the book of how you first sort of, first of all, understand the concept and start really diagnosing your organization and then really being mindful about where you want to make changes in either direction from tight to loose, loose to tight. If there is an interesting phenomenon we have that is much harder to go from um, tight to loose, to loosen up organizations or nations or even households. Um, it's much harder because there's a lot of cultural inertia and there's a lot of sort of resistance to change. And part of the sort of ways that leaders need to deal with these changes is by understanding the needs that people have. In tight cultures, people tend to have a lot of control needs. They like order. 
and it's functional. Um, and so we have to deal with the, the kind of how people feel. It's really scary to kind of give up some of that order. On the flip side, loose cultures thrive on autonomy, and needs for autonomy are really important. So we have to deal with threats to autonomy when people are trying to tighten up loose cultures. And so we need, we need to really understand the logic of the dimensions before we enact any kind of change. Yeah, you can see places where we would say people are quote-unquote resistant to change. And the resistance yeah, is coming from sure my mental cultures. model. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, oh, sorry, what was that? I said it's coming from my mental model of what I think is going to make the best place. Yeah. Tight or loose. Yeah, yeah I think that, um, you know, one of the things that we can talk about is how do you start noticing um, when an organization is getting too tight? What are the kind of signs? And what are the signs when it's getting too loose? And how we can insert some small changes into that system um, to either to get better calibrated in terms of achieving this kind of flexible tightness I was talking about in the context where we need some tightness but want to loosen up a little bit or structured looseness in a context where we need to be loose but we want to have a little bit more order in that system. But it starts really with leaders being mindful of their own mindsets and their own sense of where are they on this particular construct. Um, I have a quiz on my website that people can take to sort of first diagnose their own levels of tight, loose mindset. I mean, we all vary depending on the situation. I'm much more loose in a rock concert than I'm in an opera, <laughs> you know, but, and we, we endlessly adapt to situations. But we all have our own default where we fall in the setting of tight and loose based around personal experiences and, and socialization, gender, race, culture, class, you name it. Um, and so culture, getting back to, like, what's exciting about it is that it starts with understanding ourselves and where we sort of orient on tight and loose first before we can start understanding other people and our organizational settings and how to change them. Yeah. Okay, that is a perfect point to take a break because I do want to come back and say, let's look at how do you understand where I am, where you are in your own mental model, and then how do you begin to look at the organization around you and what adjustments can you make? I just want to reemphasize, though, three things that kind of strike me is just really, really powerful on this one. The first thing is if I feel threatened or we feel threatened as a group, we will tighten up. It's just a natural human instinct. I think that's a really important one. And then I love this notion of balance where you talk about flexible tightness and structured looseness. What a great way of getting the core concept there. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about how, and I want to talk about how to know where you are. And I want to talk about what the micro details are that you could do to make a difference. My guest today is Michelle Gelfand. The book is Rule Makers and Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our World. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. 
Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. My guest today is Michelle Gelfin. The book is Rule Makers and Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire Our World. And just to summarize, tight cultures are the ones that feel heavier threat and therefore create more order and structure and defined social norms and greater punishment for breaking those norms. Loose cultures feel less threat and therefore more openness, probably more anonymity, less um, conditions for violating the norms. I hope I did a decent job, Michelle. Yeah, that was summarizing great. Summarizing your work. <laughs> what, I, what I want, you said it, the, as just as we were about to take a break, that the first thing for a leader to do is to understand their own mental model of tight versus loose. And you have a quiz on this one. Can you tell us about it? Sure. Yeah. So on my website, there's a tight, loose mindset quiz that you can take that helps you to understand where your own default is on tight versus loose mindsets. And, you know, it's important to recognize we all shift gears and tight and loose endlessly during the day when you're in a library, you, you tighten up because you know if you violate rules, you're going to get some serious looks. <laughs> you know, when you're, you know, in a party at night, you, you kind of loosen up. So we definitely, naturally kind of always are calibrating um, our mindsets to the structure of the situation that we're in, but we each have a default setting on tight and loose. Some people veer tight. They notice rules. They manage their impulses and they try to minimize their mistakes and they like structure. They crave order and structure. And other people veer loose. They may not notice rules as much. They um, are risk-taking. They may be a little bit impulsive, and but they also embrace ambiguity. This is kind of a general kind of way that we describe it. Uh, in the book, I actually use the uh, Muppet metaphor. <laughs> are you a okay. chaos Muppet or are you an order Muppet coming from Dolly Whitgift? Uh And, you know, you think about the kind of uh, order Muppets like Kermit the Frog and Bert. You know, they kind of really crave structure in their collecting paper clips and they're, you know, really kind of rule-focused. Uh, and then you think about the chaos Muppets, 
you know, like Cookie Monster or Animal, and, you know, they're kind of going all over the place. And, I mean, it's kind of a funny metaphor, but it just suggests that, you know, we all kind of fall on a continuum of how much we emphasize rules or or, or we try to break them. And what's important to to know is, like, where we fall on this, on this continuum and then to start thinking about the people that we work with or our spouse or our kids. Where do they fall on the tight loose mindset? And why might they have evolved to have their own kind of fall in place on that continuum that differs from us. Often the conflicts we have with people stem from conflicts along tight, loose lines, whether they're financial decisions or, in my case, tidiness. I'll be honest. I veer loose. My husband is a lawyer. He veers tighter, and he does not like me leaving towels on the bed, and he definitely doesn't like how I, how I load the dishwasher. <laughs> You know, there's these kinds of things that come up in everyday life or parenting. You know, how do you sort of decide which domains have to be strict or which you can have more lax rules for? These are all sources of conflict. Even vacations with in-laws tend to have a lot of conflict in terms of tight and loose, in terms of how much spontaneity or structure do we have. But the point is that once we can kind of think about where we fall in this, this dimension, where other people fall, we can start to negotiate these differences with other people. We can think about what are our top priorities if we're tight. Or if we're loose, what are the domains that we really want to have more slack in? And we can really come to some pretty integrative, creative agreements in terms of negotiating these differences. So, you know, culture is not um, something that's destiny. We can actually negotiate it once we understand it. And it also helps us to have more empathy for people once we know where they're coming from and why they might have evolved their own place on this continuum. Yeah. You know, as you've been talking about this one, it, I'm thinking about all the people who want more flexibility in their working structure or working lives. Just take that dimension of looseness, for example. Mm-hmm. Both where I work, how I work, um, the desk I sit at, I mean, all sorts of right, whether I'm at home or not. Yep. And it strikes me that if you stopped, if you're struggling with that one, if you stop to say, for the team that I work with and for the manager I have, where do they sit on this tight, loose continuum and where do I sit? That it, it would give you some very clever clues about how to negotiate the kind of flexibility, structured flexibility, if you will, that makes it yeah. more palatable for you. But just assuming that there's one way that everybody will be happy with doesn't sound like it's going to work. That's totally right. And in fact, right now we're working on developing, you know, a scale that you can use in your organization to sort of think about what are the domains that we have rules on or, and how, and do we need to have rules around this domain? For example, what you wear to work, um, what time you get to work, uh, the kinds of um, structures you have for your work, and, and also even your desk space, like you were talking about, um, and even virtual work or, you know, relationships in the organization. Are, do we have rules versus uh, autonomy on that dimension? So there's ways that we can think about and rate the degree to which there is latitude versus constraint in many different aspects of our organizational life. And then we can sort of say, well, do we really need to have rules on this domain? Maybe this is kind of outdated. Um, Maybe what we really need to do is prioritize the most important domains that we need to have rules on, and then we can negotiate to have the others be a little bit, have more flexibility, depending, again, on the demands of your workforce. Like if you are in a very highly coordinated context, a lot of threat, then more domains will need to be normatized. But often we don't really think about it mindfully. Like you said, we can really negotiate it in organizations. We can negotiate in our households and with our kids. You know, 
thinking about threat and having two teenagers, you know, your natural instinct is to want to tighten up everything and just lock them in the house for the next couple of years. <laughs> you right. know, it's just a natural instinct. And, you know, we started really thinking about this in our household. We started to say, wait, what domains do we need to have a lot of rules on? And what domains can we give some more slack? And um, we negotiated it and we talked about it. And the kids and I, we talk about it with them. And I think there's a really nice way that we can kind of come to a consensus about these kinds of things so that they know they have, you know, some flexibility, but also understand what contexts really matter. Uh, again, each family might decide differently on these domains, you know, uh, when it comes to which things have to have a lot of rules. Um, in our house, being messy is okay, for example. That might not be the case in other houses, but working hard and treating each other well and having healthy lifestyles tends to be pretty tight. And so okay. it, organizations, households, we can really actively negotiate this for what we see as to be the ideal balance. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about this. So just for the record, there is this tight loose quiz that's on Michelle's website, and that is at Michelle Gelfand, spelled M-I-C-H-E-L-E-G-E-L-F-A-N-D.com, and pretty easy to find it there called the tight loose quiz, if you like to know where your mindset is, if you also like to know where your team's mindset is. But I'm interested, Michelle, in giving me an example of how a leader has used this balance, if you will, um, structured uh, t- looseness and flexible tightness. Have they have adjusted the balance in order to be effective at something? Can you give me an example? Sure. So, you know, just kind of broad level, you know, when you're trying to look to see if there's signs that need to be make, made, like if you're worried that your organization's veering too tight, often it's the case that you look at supervision. Is it kind of helicopter-like and hierarchical? Is it ultra-standardized? Are there rules for almost everything? Is there any discretion? Uh, what happens to people who violate the rules? Are there very strict punishments? And is, are people walking on eggshells? Are they worried about disagreeing and having dissent? Uh, in that particular case, that's a very tight context, and we might want to insert, like I said, some discretion, what we call flexible tightness. We want to try to figure out what domains can we give people a little more autonomy, more more latitude, and let's say non-safety domains. We want to find a ways to give people the space to explore and give them unstructured time for brainstorming and, and give people, um, you know, basically the permission to give pushback. And also in these contexts, it's important as you're trying to enact flexible tightness to decentralize a little bit. So that's one, those are kind of things that we're dealing with when we're trying to loosen up a tight context. But on the flip side, sometimes we need to tighten up loose organizations. Like we said, this is structured looseness. Often in this case, it's when the signs for extreme looseness are things like, you know, is there a lack of oversight and monitoring in many domains? Are things unstructured to the point that if things are seeming chaotic where there's no clear guidelines and there's no real clear goals and do people are start, are they starting to miss deadlines and targets really pretty often those are some telltale signs that the organization is is really becoming too loose and actually in this case we want to insert some more structure you know insert introduce some more rules to create alignment and coordination set benchmarks and add structure to meetings and tasks and have more oversight and monitoring here it's more important to centralize. So it's, it's actually the opposite strategy for when you're trying to engage in flexible tightness. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, structured looseness, I, in the book I talk about an example from Microsoft um, uh, where I interviewed uh, Bob Herbold, who was there telling me uh, in, in the mid-'90s how they were trying to actually get some more tightness in a loose system, what I call structured 
looseness. And he was telling me that, you know, in the mid-90s, the company sales were really off the chart, but operations, you know, the kind of coordination was really lagging. And particularly when they were trying to close the books at the end of the quarter and give numbers to their shareholders and their investors, it always took really long time. And that mainly was because people over the world were doing this in their own way. They were sloppy and systematic in their bookkeeping. Um, and they basically, from what he told me, like, had no coordination at all. It was really what I would call extreme looseness. And and Bill Gates at the time said to him, we really need to tighten up. He didn't use those words, but Herbold really did. Um, he had to really convince people who were used to their loose ways and first resisted his mission of centralizing uh, their goals um, and the company's reporting system. He, t- he really ended up selling them on the mission's benefits that, you know, if we tighten up in this domain, we're going to really be much more profitable. And ultimately, that helped to convince people to tighten up. So he did a really nice job of trying to engage in structured looseness, even in a very highly creative context. And often that happens when companies try to scale up. You know, you have people who start these companies who are really super loose in their mindsets, but as you're scaling up, of course, you need more coordination mechanisms, you need more tightness. And that can be kind of, you know, something that is the source of resistance for people who are used to a lot of autonomy. Um, and so that's just a nice example of, you know, in one particular practice, how he was able to achieve a better balance. Right. You, I certainly see that, especially as companies grow really quickly and they grow by acquisition, typically rather than organically. And then you inherit a dozen hundreds of systems around the world and you can't, you don't actually know what's going on where and all sorts of mistakes happen, start to happen, including some health and safety issues um, from some very famous cases. We won't mention those publicly, yeah. but there, I mean, that's from just the sheer fact of you've tried to integrate a bunch of stuff that isn't coordinated. Yeah, that's you right. Certainly and, you know, see it. like I said, culture is invisible, and often it's the case when we're merging with other companies or, or bringing in new units, we think about the strategic compatibility, but we don't think about the underlying sort of cultural iceberg of tight loose. And you know, we know that tight loose organizations vary really predictable in their people, in their practices, and their leadership. So people in tight cultures, organizational cultures, tend to be more prevention focused. They focus on minimizing mistakes, uh, more risk avoidant. They have very standardized practices that focus on efficiency. Um, and they're more formal, and their leaders tend to be more independent. They tend to be calling the shots more often. And it's a big contrast with the people, practices, and leaders of loose organizations. The people in loose organizations tend to be much more, we call promotion-focused, risk-taking. The, the, stand, the practices are not very standardized. They're very flexible. There's a lot of latitude. It's very informal. And the leaders that are in these kinds of driving these tri- ships are, are those that are more charismatic and visionary. Um, and so when you can imagine trying to merge between these different systems, if you don't take culture into account ahead of time, you're going to definitely have lots of problems. And, and, and we've shown that actually empirically with mergers that d- don't take tight, loose difference into account can really um, perform really poorly financially. But again, we, once we take this difference into account and we do this ahead of time, we do a diagnosis often we can really negotiate these things um, and develop a sort of prenup around tight loose that really can really change the course of that trajectory when we have a lot of problems in merging. Right. right. Typical for my mindset that I've given away, I can see all sorts of ways of taking some of my tight clients and having them to loosen up. And in fact, I'm going to give <laughs> a couple of examples. Um, with, since I don't have permission to name the companies, I won't name them, but they're very big, very large, very risk-averse 
you know, 125-year-old companies been around for a really long time, and they really do have to manage risk. That's part of what they're created to do. Both of them has just loosened, one loosened by completely changing the working norms policy, Mm -hmm. what you wear to work, what your hours are, how you work, what kind of equipment you can work on, where your desk is. I mean, just completely going from one side to the other on the working, on the those kind of social norms, not on how they do their business, but on those sorts yeah. of social norms. The other one has just revamped their building dramatically and created, they needed to do that for other reasons, but in the process created all of these spaces that encourage loose-like behavior. So mm-hmm. brainstorming sessions, different kind of furniture. I mean, there's one place where they even have pink um, sequins <laughs> pillows in it. You know, like, what? But it's just that break out of the mindset, fresh, different, encourage a bit of looseness, if you will. All right. So I can see those. But I've also seen companies that try to go towards more structure, particularly when there's a threat. Let's think about the regulatory crisis or some other oversight body looking in on your organization and you go, oh, my gosh, no. And the tendency there is to over tighten. Yeah. Tighten everything down so that everybody is frustrated. Now, granted, some tightness was needed in some places, yes. But how do you keep from overdoing the tightness? Yeah, this is such an important question because, you know, as I mentioned, you know, when there's threat, people instantly tighten. I've done this in the laboratory where I can sort of bring people to the lab and make them feel threatened by natural disasters or by financial crises or by terrorism, and instantly people want stricter norms. Instantly they start really getting into that order framework I was talking about at the sacrifice of openness. So, you you know, it's really important to calibrate because we don't want to lose the openness that looseness gives companies and gives gives individuals. I think what's really important is to be mindful about what domains really have to tighten up um, without overgeneralizing that, um, you know, because that's where we get into problems. It's easy to just kind of rush into tightness, <laughs> I'd call it, where every, it just feels safer to just start normatizing everything. But that might happen with a kid, too. It doesn't even have to be the company. It could be, you know, something happens where now you want to really just kind of really to start regulating everything. But really, if we start thinking about priorities, that really can help us out of that trap. In any negotiation, we know that the best agreements are those where you have the most highest priorities of the things you focus on rather than trying to get everything you want on every single issue. And I think the managers and the leaders that are the most effective when it comes to tight, loose transitions can really analyze the domains that really have to tighten up and the ones that we can kind of keep loose in so that people don't feel that threat to autonomy that you're just describing and that frustration. Right. Right. Also, the rationale around these things, once we understand the logic around tightness, when people mm-hmm. know there's a reason why we need to tighten up, in the Herbal case, he was even able to say, look, we know we're a loose organization, but we need to have some balance, and this is where we need to balance, and this is going to help us to be more effective. That was a really good strategy because people don't quite understand the psychology of tightness, and once we explain why it is that it's important to coordinate and function with more rules under threat, then people are more open minded yeah. to that transition when it's not overkill as we've been talking about. Um, well, and- 
Uh, this notion, you've said this many times, to be clear about your priorities. Where is it? What are the domains in which we need to be tight or need to be more loose, as the case may be? And being clear about those domains, what are our top priorities? And then that gives you a nice way to talk to people about why are we changing the rules? Because I think part of it is people don't like the change in the rules. Right. I knew how to function in this environment, and it suited me. And now you are changing it, and it doesn't yeah. suit me so much anymore. So the understanding, I think, is really a big part. All right, That's towards right. that. And also, before- you know, and also, I was going to mention, you know, I'm doing some work with um, the military now, and it's a really interesting context because they need to be tight. There's a lot of threat and a lot of coordination needs. But when you think about the military, you know, there's rules for all sorts of things, like what socks you wear, the, the, uh, the kind of haircuts you have. And we have to ask ourselves, like, the, the notion is that if you follow those rules, that you'll be willing to follow the really important rules on the battlefield. And we need to question that assumption. You know, is it really the case that we need to follow all of those rules? Maybe we can kind of have this kind of conversation, this consensus making around which rules are super important and why. And when we're loosening up other rules to explain, you know, we trust that we're going to follow the, the really important rules. We don't have to legislate all these other areas of organizational life. And, again, as I mentioned, I think that rationale around this, with this communication and, and from, among leaders, when they're shifting from tight to loose or loose to tight, is really critical. Yeah. This um, reminds me, in fact, the title of the book, Rule Makers and Rule Breakers, reminds me of some work that um, Chris, from Chris Musselwhite's. There's an assessment that's called the Chain Style Indicator that I have used a bunch of times. So I give a shout out to Chris because I'm a big fan of this one. But what it does is to say, it sort of classifies you. Are you a person who likes to change things, turn it upside down, create chaos, something Chris calls <laughs> originators? Or are you a person who likes to protect the status quo? There's a reason we got to be as good as we are, please could we not destroy that in the process? So if you will, he calls that one um, conservers, it's the same as your concept sort of of rule breakers. And I've often thought those two extremes, exactly as you've said, are really powerful understanders when I'm trying to create change. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get an organization behind me on a need to drive uh, pattern, behavior, process, whatever, completely differently. But I have to talk to the rule, to the tight people in tight language, <laughs> and why we loosen. And I need to talk to the loose people in loose language about what we're not going to tighten, if you will. But That's you can't right. cross them up. Like you, you have to find a balance in how you talk. And if you understand where people are, you've got a much better sense of how to reach them. So that's my analysis out of Chris's work and tied to yours. Does that make sense or would you say it differently? No, I think it's a beautiful way of saying it because it's using the vocabulary to try to get into the psychology of others and to, and to really kind of understand them and let them know they're understood on this very important dimension of rules uh, in terms of making a rule breaking. I also think it's helpful when we kind of help people who are on this opposite side of the spectrum to understand each other. Like, often it's the case that we stereotype other people. We don't understand why are they the way they are. And and I think that leaders also need to help people understand that if those other people who are tight, if you're loose, really provide a lot of added benefit to this organization. We need both order and openness to really function, like we talked about with the innovation example. We can help people to really um, empathize with um, my strengths are their weaknesses, but their strengths are, you know, are my liabilities, and, I, and we need each other. Um, and, and I think once we sort of think about the complementarity of tight and loose, it also helps us to get people 
to appreciate others and what they bring to the table um, because we need both of these elements in any group. Um, again, like so that the order and openness balance yeah. is what we need in, in many systems. So um, I think, you know, helping people to understand where each other's are and why, what benefit their, their mindset offers is really critical. Yeah. So welcome to my life's work is trying to help people find <laughs> other ways of understanding that. Okay, Michelle, I'm going to ask you a really difficult question and you have less than four minutes to answer it. It strikes me that this must have huge implications for creating a collaborative culture. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think that, like I mentioned, collaborative culture should be inviting in voices that are different on the tight and loose mindset, that once we understand that any system needs both the rule makers and the rule breakers, that we can create an inclusive culture by helping people to identify the incredible value that we all bring to the organizational table and leaders that can help create that. Um, if they, they can help people understand each other's mindsets and why they're needed, I think really can help to create this collaborative culture. Often cultures uh, have problems because they just don't like the people who have differences in their mindsets and they don't understand where they're coming from. Um, and it can feel really threatening to be with a rule maker or rule breaker, depending on your vantage point. But again, once we understand the underlying logic of why these systems involved, what strengths and liabilities they confer to groups, and why we need to kind of have both in a system, then it helps to create that sense of inclusion and collaboration spirit in an organization. Okay, fabulous. Michelle, that's awesome. What a great what a great concept. I am even more sold than I was all along. So my <laughs> guest today is Michelle Gelfand, Distinguished Professor of Psychology at the University of Maryland in College Park. She has all sorts of accolades for the science behind her work, including publications in science, and she was just nominated to or just elected into the American Academy of Arts and Sciences just this year. Her book, Rule Makers, Rule Breakers, How Tight and Loose Cultures Wire the World. And I can also remind you that her website, michellegelfand.com, has this diagnostic assessment along with a whole bunch of other stuff on understanding your own mindset. I think, Michelle, two things just really, I'm going to say the same thing I said before because it just really strikes me as powerful. The concept of a tight mindset versus a loose mindset and my own individual preferences on that and then how I lead and organize around it. And that tight is good when we need more coordination and when there's greater threat. And loose is good when we need more tolerance and perhaps more creativity. I think those are the two that really stand out for me. So, Michelle, thank you. What a fabulous guest. Thank you so much. And I just want to mention that I have a place on my website for your guests to send me stories about tight loose. And it's really been the most enjoyable thing about writing a book for a general audience um, because your stories really are informing our new research on this topic. And so I've had people write in all sorts of stories from organizations, from their households, uh, from their travels, where tight loose was really relevant to them. Now that they understand the concept, they're sort of like, wow, I reinterpreted the situation or now I understand something differently. And I would love to hear from your audience. Fabulous. So that's on the website. Is there a particular place people should go? Yeah, just on the front page, it says contact me here and just uh, you can send me an email either through um, Gmail or through the website itself. And again, I really love to hear from, uh, from people who have stories about tight loose. Okay. 
So I'm going to spell that for everybody because it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-G-E-L-F-A-N-D.com. Michelle, again, thank you. Great concept. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.